for all your medical care and needs. Ask our doctors. All right, our final conversation of the day, our health feature today, we're, we're looking at the use of antidepressants and in particular, uh, you know, some of the myths and even, um, I would say, misconceptions that are associated with using antidepressants. Dr. Gagu Mazebola is a member of the South African Society of Psychiatrists and joins us this morning. Uh, Dr. Mazebola, good morning to you. Thanks for your time. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for having me. Um, I hope baby boy and baby girl are also well. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, yes, they're doing well. Thank you. So we are, of course, still in you know mental illness awareness month, and the issue of of antidepressants is is a big one. Um, but I also think that it's probably you know as part of a process uh, when one is farther down the line when it comes to dealing with the fact that they might be um, uh, battling mental illness and then also taking the step to to get treated, right? Yes, quite right. Um, and antidepressants are a valuable tool that we use um, as healthcare workers to assist people with depression. Um, I, I think it's important at this point to also mention that we also use antidepressants for a whole host um, of other mental illnesses of varying severity. Um, we have anxiety disorders, we have phobias, we have PTSD, um, and, and all of these respond really nicely um, when a person is given antidepressants. Um, and antidepressants are effective and they work even better um, when they're combined with psychotherapy, which is provided by um, psychologists and ourselves. At which point of the process does one become, um, is one prescribed the treatment of, of antidepressants? Thank you for that. So when a person starts to develop depressive symptoms um, for the purposes of, of this um, conversation, we usually advise them to go to either their closest clinic or their family doctor, um, and there they will be assessed. There will be a comprehensive history that's taken. In some cases, people have got what we call mild depression, um, and there, yes, the, people, the person might have the depressive symptoms, but they're not that severe. The person is still able to attend to work or school or other important areas of functioning. And in such cases, antidepressants are not warranted. But the moment the symptoms become what we call moderate to severe, now there the person is struggling to attend to work, they're struggling to attend to school or other important areas of functioning. And in some cases, the person starts to develop unhealthy ways of thinking, such as poor self-esteem, poor motivation, and thoughts of death it is at that point where serious consideration should be given um, to starting that person on antidepressants, Kathy. The, the, the process, uh, again, of, of taking, of, of being prescribed certain treatment is not, uh, you know, a, 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 a simultaneous one. You know, one has to go through the process of first being assessed and then being diagnosed. And yet mm. often, 
um, we find a reluctance to, to even go to the step of, of finding out what it is that um, one may be dealing with simply because people don't want to end up um, taking medication. And it's not necessarily everybody, you know, that's um, diagnosed with a mental illness of, of sort that will be put on, on antidepressants. Is that correct? Yes, that, that is correct. So mental illnesses, like any other disease in the body, um, have got varying degrees of, of severity. Um, I, I think let's, let's use like the common cold, for example, or the flu um, to, to try to illustrate this point. You can have mild symptoms where you've got the sniffles, you're not feeling too good, you, you'll take whatever you have in the house. Um, then when things get to like a moderate severity, there now you're going to go to make an appointment with your family doctor or you go to your clinic. Um, and when symptoms get severe, now there you, you go straight to the, to the hospital's emergency department because you're not feeling too well. A similar principle applies to mental illnesses as well. Um, you will have the mild symptoms. You will notice that I'm not doing too well but I'm still able to attend to important areas of functioning. Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, when a person gets moderate symptoms or severe symptoms, um, now there the person or other people are aware that there's been this decline in functioning and an inability to, to attend to important areas of functioning, then their antidepressants are required. Unfortunately, stigma remains pervasive um, in our society. And that is one of the major reasons that prevents people from A, speaking out about problems that they're experiencing, and B, actually accessing the help um, for that challenge that they are facing. Kathy. What are some of the more common misconceptions around antidepressants? Um, I've heard people sort of talk about the fact that they they limit one's ability to, to function sort of at their full energy, at their full thinking capacity. Um, and perhaps you can speak to some of that as well. Thank you for that. So, yes, um, antidepressants do you know, have quite a few myths and, and misconceptions um, that are, are attached to them. I'll, I'll go through one or two. Um, the first is people fear that they'll become addicted um, to antidepressants. Um, antidepressants by their nature are not um, addictive medications. Um, and, and I think as a sidebar here, I, I do know that there are other addictive medications which may be prescribed by people that are not trained in psychiatry and these are passed off as being um, antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications. Um, antidepressants are not addictive. Yes, a person does have to take them for some time, like about six to nine months. Um, and as such, the body does get used to this medication. Um, and when it's time to stop the medication, like any substance that a person has taken for a long time, it has to be gradually weaned off, not because it's addictive, but simply because um, the body becomes used to taking that medication for a long time. Another myth is that people are scared that the antidepressant is going to make them change their personality or they'll become 
zombie, or as one client said, they don't want to become woozy. Um, antidepressants should not do that. Um, we do get different types of antidepressants. Some will be given at night because they do help people to sleep. And some will be taken in the morning because they'll help an individual with, um, say, no energy levels, for an example. Um, and the last myth, um, I think for the purposes of time, is that a person might be scared that when they take this medication called an antidepressant, it basically means this person is weak or is less than or is incapable of dealing with stuff that other people seem to be dealing with. And the truth of the matter is nothing could be further from the truth. Um, taking any medication is not a sign of weakness, but rather it's a confirmation that we're all human beings and we all have certain frailties and certain weaknesses. And there's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of to speak out about challenges that a person is having and to take whatever medication is required. When it comes to dosing, and, and, and I'm just uh, speaking and asking here from the perspective of also uh, empowering ourselves with the information that we yeah. need as potential clients um, yeah. or, or potential patients here, what yeah. is it that we need to know and understand about the dosing, about the side effects of, of antidepressants that can empower us to ask better questions of our healthcare providers uh, where we do have concerns? Mm, thank you. That's, that's a good question. So when it comes to antidepressants and indeed any medication that we use in mental health, the key principle is to start low, go slow. And that basically means that the doctor should start with a low dose of the medication. Different antidepressants have got different starting doses, um, but the general principle is start with a low dose and assess how the person does over about two to four to six weeks. If the person is not responding too well to that initial dose, then the doctor is going to increase that dosage to the next step. So say, for example, there are certain antidepressants where you'll start off with, say, 10 milligrams for argument's sake. The doctor observes and sees that the person is not getting better, then the doctor is going to go to, say, 20 milligrams. Um, and, and, and that is the principle that should be followed. I, I think in, in terms of empowering people, um, you know, it's, 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 it's highly recommended that people not be scared to speak out when they're in the consultation room. I mean, if, for example, you ask a plumber to come and fix your sink um, and you notice that the sink is still leaking, in many cases, you are going to speak up quite confidently. Um, and imagine how more important your body and your mental health is. And so people should um, use that time to ask the doctor and to speak to the doctor about concerns that they might have or fears that they might have. And the doctor should be able to answer those questions. I think in the time that we're living in now, Cassie, there's become a democratization of knowledge. Knowledge is very readily available over a wide variety of platforms. 
And I think the doctor can play an extremely important role there to A, educate the patient, and B, to advise the patient that here are some reliable websites that you can read. If the doctor has some pamphlets in their offices, as many tend to do, the doctor can then give um, the person those pamphlets for the person to have a read. And when the person comes back for their follow-up session, they can use that time to ask questions about the stuff that they've read um, and experiences that they're having um, in response to, to the antidepressants, Kevin. Yeah, you're raising you're raising such important points around, um, you know, patients really being able to fully trust um, how they're feeling, express that with their doctors, and not feel intimidated. But of course, the difficulty is that often some practitioners, um, you know, will make patients feel like what they're saying is is not valid. Um, or, you know, is, is untrue, uh, you know, especially when it comes to how they're responding to, to treatment. And, and I don't know how, how the best way to deal with that kind of uh, attitude in practitioners is. Mm. Yes. So, so indeed, um, medical practitioners are human beings um, and they may respond in a particular way. But what we usually advise people is that they they shouldn't shy away um, from being able to speak to their practitioner because at the end of the day, the patient has come to the practitioner with a particular concern um, and the practitioner is then going to either prescribe medication like antidepressants or the practitioner will prescribe psychotherapy and the patient will have to be using that stuff um, and this is medication that you know will be going into a patient's body so you, you know people should be able to speak up of course you know we, we, we don't want a situation where a person comes in with a, a particular confrontational attitude to the clinician then unfortunately the clinician doesn't respond too well but you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a patient asking the relevant questions. There's nothing wrong with a patient saying, doctor, this worries me, or this scares me, or this is what I've seen. Um, You know, Kathy, the days of clinicians telling people what to do Mm. without being asked, those days are gone. Now we have come to the time where it is, it is a collaborative effort between the clinician and the patient. And it has been shown that working with the patient serves to improve the outcome. Um, there have been studies that have been done that show that when a patient has got this open and trusting relationship with their clinician, the outcome tends to be favorable. If that relationship isn't there, the outcome tends not to be optimal. And in, I mean, think about it. If you if you don't feel comfortable in telling your doctor that this medication is giving me a runny tummy, for an example, you won't tell the doctor. And in many instances, you'll just stop the medication on your own accord. 
um, which then leads to, to a poor outcome. All right. We're in conversation with Dr. Gagu Matsebula. We're talking about antidepressants and, you know, some of the, the myths, misconceptions associated with the use of antidepressants. I'll be taking your calls for him on 086-000-2032. That's 086-000-2032. It's time for the latest headlines. Get your health questions answered by experts. All right, just before I go to our listeners on the phone lines and the WhatsApp line, Dr. Matsebula, you spoke about um, medication that was prescribed by um, dodgy practitioners, dodgy doctors. How easy is it for, for, for people to get their hands on antidepressants without necessarily having gone through uh, the right medical processes and assessments? So, unfortunately, in, in the society that, that we live in, um, Kathy, um, things happen which should not happen. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's anecdotal evidence does suggest that there are certain places where people are able to access a wide variety of medications um, without going through the requisites or, or the normal channels. And unfortunately, that, that does happen. How things should ideally work is the person goes to their clinician, the clinician does an assessment, the clinician speaks to the person, does maybe blood tests to make sure that there isn't anything else that is causing these symptoms, and then the clinician should then do um, a medication script, which the person then takes to the pharmacy, and that script is refilled. That, that's how things should work, Kathy. All right. Let me go to the voice notes. I want to kick it off with this question first. Good day, Kathy. I'd like to remain anonymous. So I've been suffering from mild depression uh, since age 17. I'm 39 years of age. I discovered that as I grow, as I become older, um, my menstrual cycle also is starting to play a role in my depressive state. It makes my symptoms more severe. Is this normal? Um, I've been able to manage my um, depression without medication but now I'm on what is called Ranflox as well as uh, Brazepam which was uh, prescribed by my doctor. I'd like to find out is it normal that your menstrual cycle could contribute to, to your depressive state? Thank you very much. Dr. Matsebula? Thank you for that. Um, it, so yes, it, indeed, um, people that have menstrual cycles tend to struggle with particular symptoms um, of varying severity. Um, there is PMS, which is well known, where the woman is, you know, perhaps a week or two before the menstrual cycle, they may feel bloated, they may feel perhaps fatigued, or there might be this mild irritability 
but it, it tends not to be too bad and the, the person is still able to attend to whatever they have to. But it does happen in some instances where the onset of menstrual of the menstrual cycle does then cause a worsening of the depressive symptoms. Um, and in such instances, it is strongly recommended that um, the person does go to see a clinician and to tell them that this is what I'm, I'm going through. Um, I'm glad that Anonymous has gone to see their doctor and the doctor has prescribed some medication. That is what we recommend people do. All right. Mpo, you're in Polukwani. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Casey. Yes. And uh, good morning to uh, Dr. Matewala. I'm a little bit perturbed by uh, the fact that we seem to not to be making too much progress in terms of uh, staying away from uh, the hostage that uh, the medical industry has held us under. Uh, since the introduction of uh, MSG, monosodium glutamate, uh, high fructose, corn syrup, food colorants, and uh, other endocrine disruptors such as fluoride in our toothpaste and in our water. There has been a spike in mental illnesses and then depression being uh, one of them. And then it seems like the more depressed we are, or depression and obesity, the more depressed we are, the more drugs are prescribed to us. Is it not possible that instead of condoning or promoting uh, the use of these drugs, that we can rather look at alternative ways or ways of banning substances that make people more prone to these things, to, to, to depression, and then as a result, they will stay away from uh, the antidepressants. Okay, Mpo, stay on the line. Dr. Matsevula? Thank you for that. Uh, Mpo raises an extremely important point, um, which we definitely as psychiatrists try to talk to our patients regularly about. Um, and, and, and that is the link between lifestyle, general health, and mental health um, by extension. So we, we do recommend uh, quite strongly that people try as much as they can um, to eat healthy diet, um, to have some form of physical activity, um, and to use things like alcohol and smoking um, in moderation. Uh, apologies. There should be no smoking, actually. Apologies for that. There should be no smoking. Um, and we do know that lifestyle Um, does impact a person's genital health and, by extension, um, a person's mental health as well. The unfortunate thing is that um, ultra-processed foods, foods with lots of chemicals in them, unfortunately, those ones tend to be more readily available and those do tend to be more cheaper um, than, than, than the healthier options. Um, which, which, which is rather unfortunate. But yes, we, we do definitely recommend that people do attend to healthier lifestyles, and by so doing, their health and mental health will improve. Although that said, um, if an individual 
comes across a significant stressor, um, you know, they still may develop um, depression. It's just that the healthy lifestyle is going to mean the person has got more physiological reserves um, to be able to deal with the stressor. But it, it sometimes does happen that you, you have a healthy person that exercises, watches what they eat, doesn't smoke, takes alcohol in moderation. It, it sometimes does happen that such a person, unfortunately, um, does need to take medication. But I agree with him, Paul. Um, we, we definitely do need to keep a focus um, on, on the food that we put into our body. All right, we're going to continue with Dr. Gaguma Zebula. He's a member of the South African Society of Psychiatrists. And we're talking about uh, the use of antidepressants and taking uh, your questions for him. I've got a lot more questions on um, the WhatsApp line that we'll put to him after this break. For all your medical care and needs, ask our doctors. Anonymous, you're calling us from Peter Maritzburg. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm well, thank you. Uh, I would like to find out, uh, I've been on antidepressants since November last year. Uh, I've been having headaches, so I'm I'm blind, by the way. So I've been attending the hospital, uh, Edenville Hospital. So last week, I, I went in to see the psychiatrist. Uh, for my monthly checkup. So uh, I was given, okay, she asked me how I was doing. Then I, I, I did affirm to her that there is a slight improvement, but the headaches haven't, haven't gone, but my, like my mood is more better now. I find myself more positive than negative. But then what surprised me is she just uh, gave me dates for medication up until October, I think October 25th, before I I do a consultation with her. Was that not too soon for her to remove me from being able to consult with them? Thank you. All right. Thanks for that question, Anonymous. Dr. Matsebula? Thank, thank you, Kathy, and thank you to Anonymous number two. So, yes, um, antidepressants do have uh, several side effects that are associated with them. Um, two of the biggest ones would be this type of headache that Anonymous um, is describing. Um, and the second side effect would be an upset tummy. Um, but we, we would expect that these side effects should improve um, a couple of days or in some cases a couple of weeks after taking the medication. Um, we, 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 wouldn't, we wouldn't expect the side effects to last um, for as long as it seems um, this person's uh, headache has lasted for. What the general rule of thumb is, is that if, if a person reports a particular side effect, the clinician ideally should have a chat with the person about how severe they feel the side effect is. If the side effect is intolerable or it's getting bad, then in that case, the clinician should 
or can give consideration to changing the medication. In some cases, the patients are going to say, yes, I do have this mild headache, but it's it's not a, a big deal, um, and I can see that I am feeling better. In such cases, then we do say, okay, that's fine, let's continue with the medication with the, in, with the strict understanding that you know, the moment the patient feels, you know, that the side effect is becoming intolerable, then they should be able to come back and to have a consultation and, and we make a plan. Um, I, I, you know, I would also advise listeners who, you know, when they interact with a clinician, whether it's a psychiatrist or any other clinician, and, and that is, yes, a date may be given as to when you can come back um, but nothing stops you. Let's say the clinician said, I will see you in six months' time, for argument's sake. Um, and two months into the course, you feel you, you can't carry on. You do need to come in because you have some concerns. Um, patients should be able to come and say, may I see the doctor? Um, and I think the doctor, yes, we, we may be quite busy, uh, but the doctor should be able to try to make some form of leeway to to speak to that patient. Yeah. All right. Uh, I want to squeeze in one last question here. And one of our listeners is asking, if a patient was misdiagnosed by a state mental health institution 20 years ago, does he or she have any recourse um, if they were prescribed anaphoril and sodium valprite with a generic of Prozac? Uh, which have had negative effects. Very briefly for me, please, uh, Dr. Matsebula. Thank you. So people do have recourses. We, we recommend that they go to the hospital and ask to speak to the clinician if the clinician is there. If the clinician is not there, there tends to be certain departments like quality assurance, um, and the person can raise their concerns with that department. Um, and that department will then assist the, the patient further. All right. Unfortunately, we're completely out of time uh, for this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on to the show and speaking to us about this issue. Dr. Gagu Matsabula, a member of the South African Society of Psychiatrists. That's also where we wrap it up for today. Up next is the book reading, a special broadcast coming to you tomorrow of the Talking Point from Kruger National Park. This is where the BRICS meeting of education ministers will be taking place ahead of next month's summit. So please uh, do tune in for that special broadcast.